Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. All right, I need you to put your thinking caps on this morning, okay? Daryl's not willing to do that. We're going to go a little bit deep. I need you to track with me. You're actually one person with a number of selves. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about in the message today. You have four selves, which is part of why every human being is such a mystery and so, so deep. There are four what you might think of as versions of you or dimensions of your identity that together tell the whole story of who you are as a person. Okay, the first self is the self everybody knows. The second self is the one nobody knows. The third self is the self even you don't know. And then the fourth self, well, we'll come to the fourth self in a while. We're in the midst of this whole series called Holy Mess. And we're looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the city of Corinth, to a church there back in the first century. And so far in this series, we've talked about the fact that the culture there in Corinth in the first century was so, so similar to our culture today. And then we've talked about the fact that the people who were a part of the church in Corinth were a holy mess, just like we all are to some degree. And we've been walking through different sections of the book of 1 Corinthians. And the question we're going to look at this morning is this, who am I living to please? Whose judgment of me or whose opinion of me will I allow to determine my happiness, my sense of self-worth? Now the place where we find the existence of the four selves is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want you to listen carefully to what Paul writes here. He says, This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and of those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore... Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Okay, so let's dive in and talk about these four selves. I want you to write this down. The first self is my public self. Okay, this is who you think I am. This is my outer self. This is the image I project. It's the me that gets praised or criticized by other people. And whenever I idolize my public self, and I have a tendency to do this, I hide my bad qualities and I kind of exaggerate my good qualities. And I make my life all about impression management, self-promotion. But then I also become a prisoner, if you will, of other people's opinions of me, of my critics. And Paul does not think that this is a good life strategy. Paul says this, in fact, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Okay, that's a remarkable statement. If you want to, turn to the person next to you right now and say, I care very little what you think of me. Go ahead. Yeah, I care very little. Doesn't that feel good? (laughs) You know, in Corinth, the promotion of self, that was a way of life. And the standard term for it was boasting. Now, do you ever boast? You ever find yourself doing a little self-promotion? 
No? No, sure. <laughs> hey, you know, worse, have you ever boasted about something with another person only to find out that that other person is actually better at what you're bragging about than you are? Well, that is the worst, okay? Yeah, I'm a pretty decent ping pong player. Okay, I'm not superb, not one of these guys that stands 10 feet away from the table like this, right? But I'm pretty good. Usually when I was doing youth ministry at youth functions, I'd win. Usually when I go to men's retreats, I'll win. In fact, for our 25th anniversary, my wife and I went to Cabo, Mexico. We stayed at a resort there. It was a lot of fun. And they had all these competitions going on, including a ping pong tournament. And so I decided, you know, I would sign up for this ping pong tournament. And yeah, I won it all, okay? And after that, I was feeling a little cocky about my ping pong skills. Anyhow, not too long after that time, I encountered another guy. I was talking about my skill set in ping pong. And he just kind of called me and said, yeah, yeah, I'm okay at ping pong. And I'm kind of egging him on, right? And so eventually I challenged him to play, and he very calmly proceeded to kick my butt all over the place, okay? And if that wasn't bad enough, he, he humbly walked away and said, you know what, I probably just had a good night. You know, the irony of boasting, part of the irony is we do it to try to convince other people that we're superior, that we're secure, but the reality is if we really were secure, we wouldn't need to boast in the first place. It turns out it's really hard to boast effectively, and you might be surprised to learn that the Bible has a great deal to say about boasting, particularly in relationship to the church at Corinth. Now, I looked this up. The word boast is used 59 times in the New Testament, 55 of those by the Apostle Paul. And of those 55 occurrences, 39 of them happen when he's writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth was kind of ground zero for boasting. I mean, in Corinth, boasting referred to the verbal techniques that you would use to pursue status in this honor-shame kind of society. It was essentially a technical term. You can almost replace it in our day with personal brand management, marketing yourself. In fact, one of the best sellers in the ancient world was written by a Roman writer named Plutarch. It was called On Praising Oneself Inoffensively. Isn't that great? On Praising Oneself Inoffensively. Would that book sell well today or what? It was written specifically for politicians to teach them how to boast more effectively. You ever hear of a politician boasting? Yeah. Now, if you were back there 2,000 years ago, if you were to walk around the city of Corinth, what you would see all over the place were these inscriptions. I mean, on buildings, monuments, all over the place. There were these inscriptions written by wealthy benefactors to kind of promote their own brand. The most famous of those was actually carved on two pillars in Rome the capital of the ancient world, and it was called the Deeds of the Divine Augustus. Let me just read you a few snippets of this. It starts by saying, below is a copy of the Deeds of the Divine Augustus, by which he subjected the whole world to the dominion of the Roman Empire. Now, does anyone want to guess who wrote the Deeds of the Divine Augustus? <laughs> yeah, that would be Augustus, right? And for 35 paragraphs, count them, on these pillars, 35 paragraphs, he recounts the titles he held, the offices he had, the battles he won, the wealth he dispersed. And it ends with him saying, I received by decree of the Senate the title Augustus. The doorposts of my house were publicly decked with laurels. A civic crown was fixed above my door. And a golden shield was bestowed upon me by the Senate and the Roman people on account of my valor, clemency, justice, and piety. After that, I excelled all others in dignity. Hashtag killing it, right? Hashtag humble brag. That's how you praise yourself inoffensively in Rome, 
in Corinth, maybe on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's the public self. Boasting is this whole world constructed around promoting my own self-image. So what is Paul's strategy for dealing with the public self? His strategy, oddly enough to us, is to die to it. Die to my public self. You know, in Corinth, comparing and evaluating speakers and sages, speaking and teaching what Paul did, it was just what they did, right? They did it all the time. In fact, in that day, it was kind of like, I don't know, Olympic figure skating in our day. The whole point was to impress the judges. It's how you found out if you won or not. And so Paul's response is quite remarkable here when he says, I really don't care very much. A little, but not much. Now, just to level the playing field here, I'm going to ask everyone in a moment to raise your hand if you've ever been criticized, okay? But before we do that, I want you to think about just different parts of your life, different aspects of your life. Right, think about your appearance, maybe your athletic abilities, your work, right, your personality, your habits, the way you interact with people, the way you drive, the way you deal with anger, your words, whatever it may be. And then I want you to think about different people in your life, your parents, teachers, coaches, bosses, friends, enemies, relatives, people you're dating, people you used to date, people you tried to date, okay? All right, how many of you have ever at some point in time in your life been criticized? Can I see your hands? Okay, good. Now we're all in the same boat. Criticism was inevitable in Corinth, and criticism is inevitable here today in our world. Yeah, I used to work with this guy. He would often begin his sentences with this statement, I don't mean to criticize, but, and guess what he would do? <laughs> criticize. Of course he meant to criticize, right? It's exactly what he meant to do. And in Corinth, they were devoted to the promotion of self, and they were using the church as one more place to do that. Paul actually says that they were constantly posturing themselves to appear smarter, richer, stronger, more honorable, right? They were turning spirituality into one more competitive activity. Now, by way of contrast, look at how Paul describes his own life. We are fools for Christ. <laughs> to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. <clears throat> we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. And how is Paul's self-enhancement project going? You know, that word translated fools is the Greek word moros. We get our word moron from that. We are morons for Christ. In fact, he ends up saying the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. Okay, garbage is the Greek word peripsima. And it's such a radical extreme word that Bible versions, they, they, they wrestle with how to translate this. Okay, it's the word for the, the junk, the crud on the floor that gets swept up or the, the stuff that's removed from a human body like earwax. It, it's a bumper sticker word. Let's just say that. Peripsima happens, okay? Peripsima happens. Paul, that's a little dramatic, don't you think? The garbage of the world, the scum of the earth. Paul is simply trying to express the degree to which he has died to what other people think about him. Image promotion the public self. He simply let it go. And here's the irony. When you die to the public self, you don't live miserably. You live free. You think it would be awful, but it's not. You know, one person put it like this. Don't let your critic become your judge. 
There's a big difference between a critic and a judge. A critic offers an opinion. A judge imposes a sentence. A critic can offer a word. A judge gets the last word. I mean, it's okay to listen to your critics, but don't let them become your judges. Paul loves the Corinthians, but he will not let them become his judge. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on to say, I don't even judge myself. And that leads us to the second self. Okay, the first self is that public self, who you think I am. The second self, that is my private self. This is who I think I am. See, there is a me I don't want anyone else to really know about. Things I've done that I'm ashamed of, anger, jealousy, lust, disappointment, greed, stuff that I try to hide. Now, I may think of my public self and my private self as two overlapping circles, okay? And the more my private self is congruent with or the same as my public self, the more authentic I am, the more sincere I am, the more truthful I am. In fact, you could think of that overlapping zone as sort of the authenticity zone. And then anything outside of that zone, that's where I'm a little hypocritical. I'm hidden. Right? This is where I pretend to be nicer or smarter or braver or more agreeable than I really am. And it takes a lot of energy to prop up that zone. So the strategy for dealing with my private self is to reveal my private self. Right? To let it be known. Don't hide, don't fake, don't pretend. The strategy for dealing with the private self is to reveal the private self. Don't indulge that desire to look any better than you really are. That's why at Hill Country Bible Church, we think it's so important for people to get involved in a small group. See, the private self can never be healed if it remains hidden. You can only be loved to the extent that you're known. And so we want small groups here to be a safe place where you can gradually, eventually, over time, get to know somebody and, and appropriately, wisely, right? Because it takes time to build trust. But over time, reveal your private self to another person so that you can be loved, so that you can be known. Now, there's a fascinating term Paul uses to describe the temptation of the private self. <clears throat> he says this to the folks at Corinth. Do not go beyond what is written, that is what is written in the scriptures, then you will not be puffed up. Now that word translated puffed up, the Greek term fusioo, it literally means to be filled up with air. Okay, it's the inflated ego, trying to look bigger than I really am. And it was such a problem in Corinth that Paul talks about it again and again and again. Let me give you a few examples. He says, some of you have become puffed up, 1 Corinthians 4.18. You are puffed up, 1 Corinthians 5.2. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up, 1 Corinthians 8.1. Now, now look at that last one. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. What kind of knowledge puffs up? Hear me on this. Any kind of knowledge. Any kind of knowledge can puff up. Even spiritual knowledge, even biblical knowledge can do this. You know, back when I was an associate pastor on staff, the staff and the elders, they had a, a little party. And part of this party was a Bible quiz competition to see who knew the Bible the best. <laughs> now, keep in mind here that all the elders are there. The senior pastor is there. So basically, I'm going up against my bosses here, okay? But I was a pastor on staff. You know, I had undergraduate degrees in religion and Greek. I have a master's degree from seminary, which means I kind of know stuff. And so it was a catch-22 for me, right? <laughs> because if I lose, it looks like I don't know the Bible very well. 
But if I win, I'm essentially showing up my bosses. So in that moment, my public self was acting like, oh, I, I don't really care who wins, right? I am beyond that, for I have been crucified with Christ. That's my public self. Yeah, you want to know what my private self was thinking? <laughs> my private self's thinking, i got to beat these people's brains out, right? But look modest while I'm doing it. Yeah, it was a very interesting moment when they revealed the final score of that competition, that Bible competition. And that leads us to the third self, so we'll just move on to that <laughs> real quick here. By the way, are, are any of you so carnal that you want to know who won that Bible competition? I'm not going to tell you, okay? I would tell you, but, but that would be boasting, so <clears throat> I wouldn't want to do that. Did I tell you I know a lot about the Bible? <laughs> Anyhow, the third self, the one that slips out every once in a while, even when I don't want it to, it's my real self. Okay, this is who God knows me to be. My real self. This is the one I'm not even fully aware of. It's a fascinating thing. You know, the Corinthians were Paul's critics, but he wouldn't let them be his judges. I mean, Paul was actually his own biggest critic. He called himself the least of the apostles. He once lamented, I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. He was critical of himself, but Paul said that he was not his own judge. Look at this. He said, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. In other words, Paul says, I'm not even qualified to be my own judge because there's far too much about me that I do not know. My capacity for self-deception is too great. Well, my conscience might be clear. That doesn't mean I'm innocent. You know, it's a strange thing that in our day in popular psychology, we often run across this idea that we don't think highly enough of ourselves, right? And yet, if you look at research from empirical psychology, it consistently shows that we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We accept more responsibility for our successes than we do for our failures. Okay, I ran across this little study the other day. I'll just read you some portions here says people remember voting for the winning candidates more often than they actually did. People have an inflated belief in their ability to know truth compared to other people. The average business person believes they are above average in their ethics. Of high school students surveyed, 70% believe they are above average in leadership. From a survey of 800,000 high school students, 0%, 0% believe they were below average in their ability to get along with other people. Okay, now, obviously, 50% are average or below, but 0% believed that they were below average. Now, catch this one. Not only do the majority of drivers believe they are above average drivers, but get this. The majority of people in the hospital who are injured in a driving accident that was their fault believe they are above average drivers. It says the average person believes they will live longer than the average mortality rate, right? which is why Freud once told a story about a husband who said to his wife, if one of us dies, I think I'll go to Paris. <clears throat> In other words, there is this gap, right? There is this gap between, you know, kind of who I think I am over here. There's this gap between my private self, if you will, and then over here, my real self, the one who I actually am, the one only God knows. There's this gap that exists there. And there's an overlapping zone here as well. Hey, this is who I think I am. This is who God knows me to be. And the overlapping zone is what you might call the self-awareness zone. 
This is where I actually do know the truth about myself. This is when the person I think I am and the person I actually am are one and the same. And then the area outside of that is Fantasy Island, okay? It's what used to make for bad but riveting American Idol auditions, right? Everybody knows the person can't sing except the person themselves. So what's the strategy here? Well, the strategy is to discover my real self. How do I do that? Who knows my real self? God. So I have to come before God and say, God, reveal the truth about myself to me, right? I have to examine my own life with an open mind and a humble spirit. And the Bible, I got to tell you, is so brilliant when it comes to human psychology. The psalmist said this, but who can discern their own errors? Who actually knows this? God. Forgive my hidden faults. Only God is qualified to be my judge. You can't be. I can't be. God can. I mean, he knows everything about me. He knows my outer actions, but he knows my inner thoughts. He knows my public words. He knows my private desires. He knows the wounds I've inflicted on others. He knows the wounds that have been inflicted upon me. And, you know, I have been reminded so vividly that every person you see, hear me on this, every person that you see is fighting a battle you do not see. Right? They fight anxiety or depression or addiction or compulsion or, or maybe they were abused or maybe they were molested. This is why Paul says, judge nothing, nothing before the appointed time, before God makes everything clear. Especially do not live with a judgmental spirit toward other people. God is my judge, but God also loves me and accepts me and forgives me and wants to transform me. And that's actually the fourth self. Write this down. The fourth self is my glory self. This is who God wants me to become. My glory self is the person God wants me to become. And everybody has a glory self. You know, the real reason we want to be famous or beautiful or admired is because we were meant, we were made for glory and we can never stop craving it. But the problem happens when we try to seek that glory outside of the inner transformation of character that genuine glory requires. Then it becomes a train wreck. You see, in Corinth, they were trying to make their public selves their glory selves, right? And it just didn't work. But that's the constant human temptation. You will be like God. You can be like God. Yeah, it's why it can be so depressing to go on Facebook and compare other people's glory selves to your private self. So what's the strategy here? The strategy here is to desire to become the glory self above all else. You gotta go after that glory self above all else. You know, it's kind of interesting to me. We talk about and we crave self-esteem so much in our day that when people pick up the Bible and they look at the language the Bible uses about our own sin, our own depravity, our own evil, they're kind of shocked by that. But at the same time, in our day, the most grandiose statements of human potential look kind of weak, kind of small, compared to what God says he has in store for us in the future. I mean, Paul, he's constantly saying things like this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, you have a real self. That's you as you actually exist right now with all your fallenness that only God knows for sure. But you also have a glory self. 
And you see, there's an overlap there. When your real self and your glory self overlap, that overlapping zone is what the Bible calls sanctification. To be made holy, to be made more like Jesus, to be made glorious. You know, one of the reasons falling in love is so powerful is because when somebody falls in love with you, they get a little glimpse of your glory self. And when you're deeply in love, that's all you can see. You think that's all there is, right? Just the glory self. Then you get married, right? And the real self becomes oh so clear. You might even lose track of that glory self, but it's still there. And we are meant to see the glory self and to see the real self and to call out that glory self in one another. That brings me to a very interesting note that I want to end on here. Paul makes this statement to the Corinthians. He says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. An eternal weight of glory. You know, the word for glory back in the Old Testament in Hebrew, kabod, it can also be translated as weight. There is a weight of glory. In fact, there's a wonderful essay that was written by C.S. Lewis, and he called it The Weight of Glory. And at the very end of it, he says that all of us should work really, really hard when we see another person, when we see ordinary people, average people, just normal people, to think about their glory selves. So you might sneak a look at the person sitting next to you right now as you listen to C.S. Lewis's words. This is what he writes. It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet only in a nightmare. And all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of those overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. See past the public self. See past the private self that they struggle with. See past the real self who is so flawed, right? And broken and hurting and wounded and scarred. See the glory self. Every person you see, every time you look in the mirror, every conversation you have, every pair of eyes, let me just encourage you, See the glory. See the glory. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just reminded as I reflect on this passage in 1 Corinthians that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we also recognize that we are broken, we are flawed, we are a holy mess. And apart from you and your Holy Spirit, we will never move past these other selves and get to the glory self. And so, God, I just pray that the truths we've learned here in the past month could really settle into our lives. First of all, that we would die to that public self, to that fake image that we throw out there all the time. We pretend to be so much better than we really are. I pray that we would have the courage to reveal the private self, at least to one person. We would find a relationship where we could trust that individual and and be real with them. And God, that you would help us to discover the real self because we are so self-deceived. We think we are one thing when in fact we may be another. 
And so I pray we would come before you and say, God, search us, dry us, reveal to us the truth so the truth could set us free. And ultimately, God, I pray that we would desire that glory self, that we would desire that above all else, that we would go after that, that we would pursue that to be more and more like Jesus. And I pray that we would call that out in another person because as we encounter people in life, maybe we can encourage the best in them. We can encourage that glory self and maybe that will help them to take a step closer to a relationship with you. Or, or maybe they, they know you personally and, and they're struggling. Maybe they're struggling with their own self-image. They're hiding. If we call out the best in them, we can encourage them to be maybe a little bit more like you, Jesus. So God, help us to do that, to look past the public self, the private self, even the real self, and to call out the glory self in others. And Lord, we recognize that with all these truths, apart from your Holy Spirit, we can't do this. But with you, all things are possible. And so we pray these things in the matchless name of the one who can transform us. Jesus Christ. Amen.